today on cinematics a film about new beginnings and testing trust loyalty and friendship this is hellraiser and the thing hello everybody welcome to the first episode of cinematics the podcast i'm ryan and i'm paulie and we're gonna be we're gonna be hosting this podcast so um before we before we really dive into the meat of this i guess we should uh we'll maybe tell you a little bit about ourselves for those listening so you know why we're why we're doing this and why you should listen to us i guess or not i mean don't listen to us (laughs) if you don't want to (laughs) but um I guess for myself, I'm a, I'm a film school graduate from SATE Polytechnic in Calgary. I took two-year diploma there, um, and I'm now an independent filmmaker, slash I also work on, uh, in various departments on big union shows, um, and I'm a writer and an avid movie lover. So that's, what I, that's my little 30-second blurb about what I do. And uh, I'm Polly. Ryan is much more qualified to talk about this than I am. <laughs> I only completed one year at SAIT, and I am moving on into production design, uh, which involves uh, mold making, uh, concept designs, and also, like Ryan, um, just an avid movie lover and watched a lot of movies under the sun. So, yeah. Yeah. So what is cinematics? Well, Paul and I decided that... Uh, we both we 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 like creating content uh we like doing things that are creative and and i just have a lot of fun we we have a lot of fun riffing about shit and talking about shit anyways um and we thought we might as well um capitalize well <laughs> who knows if we'll ever make any money off of this but we're uh, personal fulfillment do something, with it. <laughs> do something productive with it so we want to explore um, a variety of, of filmmaking aspects from the perspective of filmmakers and uh, just go through different movies and, and talk about them uh, from various angles and directions. So because we're starting in October, kind of coming towards the month of Halloween, we thought we'd start mm-hmm. off with, uh, with a, a horror film run um, to try and try and talk about some horror films. Now you're a you're a uh, props master primarily is what you you're trying to work your way at right exactly so uh, he, you're a little more qualified than me I think to talk about the the production design of films which is what we're going to be talking about today woohoo woohoo yeah. so Hellraiser <clears throat> sorry excuse me um 1987. And the thing, 1982, uh, pretty much the decade of uh, practical effects and all around just good horror movies. Like, got a lot of good horror comedies and, like, I don't know, everything Everything was different. Like, you, you wouldn't find a whole lot of movies that were one of the same. Um, so for, for Hellraiser, a lot of practical special effects a lot of uh time lapse stop motion we, we, we were talking about that actually that what was that scene when when frank first um there will probably be spoilers in this podcast Good idea. um in all of the podcasts if you don't want to hear spoilers about the movie um don't watch the podcast and go watch the movie, <laughs> and, go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the podcast after because we're going to talk pretty in depth and i think splitting up spoilers versus not spoilers like i've listened to some other podcasts where people will talk about the non-spoilery stuff first and just kind of review the movie and then afterwards uh we'll come in and do like all right this is the spoiler section and they'll talk about the end and whatever but it's all in the sake of review and i think we're gonna we're gonna try and do something different reviews too much no we're about the technical and you know even just the the theory and you know all that, all that kind of stuff behind um, the movies, which is going to require spoilers. Yeah. So if you're worried about spoilers, don't listen Turn any further. Turn around <laughs> and go watch the movies. <laughs> watch the damn movies. All right. Um, so Hellraiser. Uh, we were talking about that scene where Frank 
is first sort of born out of the, the out of, uh, blood donation. Yeah his, yeah, his brother's blood. And and we were sitting there puzzling over how they did it um, because it was so... Well, it started off with something really simple, like uh, when the blood went back into the floor and uh, we were like, we're like, uh, like, how do you think they do that? And I was just like, like the nails were sticking up a little bit above the floor. And then probably what they did is they probably just pumped the blood up through the floor and then reversed the camera in post. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was the first bit. And then and then we kept going with that because we're like, oh, well, if that's how they did it, then how did they do the next one? And obviously, probably it looked like a time lapse based on or some, stop motion. Some of it, yeah, some of it looked like time lapse. Uh, some of it looked like stop motion. Could be, even be, I don't know if they do both. Maybe. Like if you do like some stop motion and uh, time lapse at the same time. I don't know if they do that or not. Stop motion time lapse. I mean, I guess all stop motion is kind of time lapse, really, because you're like stretching it out over an extended period of time of moving this thing. Yeah, moving it little by little. Yeah. But uh, and then reversing it in this case to make it look droopy and goopy. But that was one of the things that I was super super interested in is like how how talented whoever it was that did all of that all of that design of those those creatures those. Mm-hmm like the costuming for Frank and like the, the build of that, like yeah. uh, that's all practical. Like they didn't have the special effects at the time to Computers, like, yeah. to be able to just make that. Hello person with a big <laughs> engine. Um, yeah. And like the other thing that like really impressed me was like, even just the way they made the liquid, like if it was, if it was stop motion or if it was time lapse, like, and if it was going, going in reverse or something like that, like just, you know how the how the liquid was kind of forming over things and like kind of coming off. Like I don't know if you really noticed that, but I was like, which which part are you speaking about? When when Frank's kind of putting himself back together for the first time. Oh oh, when, it was yeah. just showing those close up shots of like you didn't really know what what it was, but it was just um. kind of like forming over and stuff like that. So it's like, did they have to did they have to sculpt that liquid or like, um, yeah, like what did they do with that? I don't know. I I, w- I would have thought maybe it's. Cause there's some, still some stuff. I was just like, how did they do that? I don't. I don't know. I. Yeah. I. Well, like like I said, you're 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 more qualified on the level of of production design than I am as to like as to that. But I would assume that it was just liquid, right? Maybe. I don't know. It, it's hard to tell. Assume. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that stuff. I was just like. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. So in in the title of this episode, we we refer to um, Hellraiser as a movie about new beginnings, and I, I think it's interesting the way you um, came to the conclusion that that was what the movie was actually about. Because I, I I it wasn't me that had any thought in that. It was all you. You want to maybe tell me a little bit about how you figured that out? Well, there was. I don't know, like, they were, like, first off, like, the movie's kind of has, like, a, a timeless kind of uh, set design where, and even costume design and stuff where one one minute it could look like it's from the Victorian era, and then even with, like, like the box and stuff, it looks a little bit more Art Deco, and then um, when she's in the bar finding her first victim, it looks more modern, and even, like, the clothes that they wear look more modern, whereas, like, in other scenes, like people are wearing like older fashion things or you know whatever, and then uh, like one of the things I heard was the more you mull over a memory in your head, the less accurate it is over time. Where did where did you hear that? Uh, I I don't know. It was I don't know some video on YouTube. <laughs> I wish I could remember, but um, so. Yeah, I think I think it's something like that anyway where you know, the more you think about the more you think about the past and stuff, the more diluted it becomes and it's not the same memory it was when you first experienced it basically. Interesting. It kind of changes over time. So like like in a lot of in a lot of shots you notice things missing from the background and there's like fragments of things and it's it's just really it, it's kind of about living in the past, right? And it, over time, it becomes uh, more distorted and whatever, right? Um, more distorted. 
Okay. So living in the past, but then trying to trying to move on almost like um, coming to this this house, which which is an interesting almost paradox in and of itself, because the house that they moved to is um, kind of old. It's it's Larry's mom's house. Yeah, I think originally. It was in, I think it was in the family. Yeah, and he was returning back to it for like the first time in in almost ten years, the better part of ten years. What the, what what the quote is, and. And so he he talks about coming home and and being so excited to move home. Meanwhile, his his wife is is not so thrilled. She is it's, it's said that she doesn't like moving, whereas he's excited to to move on. She's she's not. And and but also he's he's moving backwards, I guess, because he's going back to a family a family home, which is also a bit dilapidated and like it's got mold in the walls. It's all moist and it's just kind of it's kind of holes everywhere down. yeah it's kind of falling down a little bit and uh yeah like um uh lost my train of thought so yeah like uh like i was saying before like there's just there's just things missing everywhere like right yeah thing like there's there's pictures where she rips them in half um oh yeah that's right she tears that photo yeah she tears that photo in half um during the first her first like sacrifice i guess but because she's she she just wants to so i guess the the element that's important there and and with the rest of it is that for her it's a new beginning in the sense that she's trying to get away from frank larry's her husband's brother larry yeah, Larry's I think at, brother. At that point, she's like trying to forget about him. Yeah, because they, they well, for I mean, I'm assuming, and then, assuming you've seen the movie if you're listening to this podcast, as we mentioned, but because they had an affair. Yeah, they had an affair, and then when she goes, because I don't think there was any history between them in that house specifically. I don't. I don't think the house has anything to do with their actual history. No, now, I, I, I don't think. think so. And then when she goes upstairs, and she's like. She thinks that there were squatters there, and then she starts looking through all the photos, and she finds out that Frank was actually there. Then it starts to bring up all these, all these old feelings, and then she starts reminiscing a lot, and then it starts, it starts to change her, I guess. Okay. You see? What yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because like she, she wasn't the most like cheery character off the get-go, but like it just. I mean, I got, I got evil stepmother vibe, the vibe the moment I saw her, which is, a kind of unfortunate maybe, but. Yeah. Well, and, like, the the thing is, like, she just, like, uh, I guess it just brings out her true nature. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, she's trying to move on and get away from it, but then... But then the, fa- the, the past finds the her. The past yeah. finds her. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I, I just had this thought as we're sitting here talking now. Um, when when Frank opens the little little puzzle box yeah, yeah. and releases the the cenobites um he's in that little room that we see him in the rest of the time which yeah. is like that empty uh room that looks like it's almost been lit on fire there's holes missing out of the wall pieces yeah. missing out of the wall it's all just is that the same room that they found his bed in that's yeah i'm pretty sure that's the same okay room, yeah because she takes they take his bed out and whatever his stuff after but she goes into that room and that room whether it's the stuff, I mean, obviously it's mostly the stuff she sees, but the stuff that she sees, uh, and and the photos and the bed and the reminders, and then also just the the sheer fact that the room is almost kind of its own presence in the movie, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's just it's really dark. I don't think there's even any lights in there. No. The only thing that lights it up is like from the lighting outside the window. So he's always like hiding, like the first one of the, like. The first time you see him after he comes crawling out, like after he kind of puts himself back together, is like you just see basically the natural light coming from outside when he's like crawling over towards her. Ugh. That, yeah. that was a good scene. That was, yeah. That was a good scene. It, it's, it's funny because there, there's so many different kinds of kinds of horror movie. And and Hellraiser is, is almost not even a horror movie. I mean, it is, but I... I it's... At, at, the, at the face of it, it's a horror movie, but I think there's there's something more there yeah like what we were talking about like uh 
about things looking incomplete and like um like you know the puzzle box and like you know pieces of a puzzle missing especially when it comes to a person that you had feelings before or like in her case anyway like mm-hmm. pe- people you had feelings for before that you know um like i guess she's trying to f- like frank is that uh missing puzzle piece in in, in, in her, her life in her yeah life, right or or she feels like he might be because she, it's not like she like i feel like the movie is more about the evil stepmother whatever her name was i can't remember but oh that's terrible but i don't actually remember <laughs> her name either but like i feel like the movie is more about her and frank than it is uh uh kirsty and her dad larry 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 that's funny she's the only character that i can't remember the name of yeah that's unusual i'm having to have to find that um but right it seems like most of the attention is focused on them more than anything like, i think they get more screen time um you mean kirsty and, and larry or no um frank, frank, and, frank, and, frank and, and the evil stepmother and the evil stepmother they, they do i mean they they kind of become they they really essentially are the main characters of the movie which is kind of weird if you think about it because we're we're following their story more than anybody else we see them more we're with them more yeah and it seems like they like especially the evil stepmother um she sacrifices a lot more in order to to be with frank right she she loses in order to try and gain and what she's trying to gain is a better life like she's not happy with larry she doesn't she seems to like the bad boy, if you yeah, know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so she's trying to maybe gain something back. And and that seems to be represented through the whole thing. Like you were talking, and I know before we started recording, we talked about um, puzzle pieces and, and, and fragments and things like that. And how, you know, we've got holes in the walls. We've got pieces missing out of everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and like, oh, and her name's Julia, by the way. Julia, that's what it was. Julia. That's right, there we go. Hooray so, yeah. for technology. So, yeah, it just seems like it's more of a, a focus on Julia and Frank. And, you know, in the end, like, in the end, too, like, I guess even the thing that uh, she thinks she thinks makes her whole is the thing that spoilers ends up killing her at the end <laughs> spoilers <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's true though and it's it's i guess interesting trying to keep the conversation on um on production design the way that but it, it ties into the story though like the way like everything i felt was intentional like even when you see frank at the beginning he's he's incomplete he's just like you know he's just a pile of mush at the beginning pretty much true and then it's it, like i don't know maybe the more time they s- like i think julia was just being used by frank from the get-go anyways i don't think he really cared no, no he, he doesn't seem to but you know i he manipulated her into making him whole and you know she just yeah like it you could you could relate it to uh, an abusive relationship. People who keep going back to those those that abuse. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's interesting. And you know, she like he. I wouldn't I wouldn't say like he made her kill those uh, those those for like those sacrifices the, the, or whatever. The sacrificial victims. But he he manipulated her into it, right? She she wouldn't have done it if she really didn't want to. But at the same time, he's like, you know, oh, we can we can be together, we can do this, we can do that. It's a very manipulative sort of relationship they have, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, but most... it's 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 interesting too because like like you're talking with pieces, everybody's everybody's fragmented in this, right? And um, I I mean, I haven't gone into depth and in, into Larry and and Christy and whatever, but th- there seems to be some problems with their relationship oh, a little yeah. bit too. Like... But but even right at the beginning, the first time we see Frank before we even know who he is. Um, we see this short little, these quick snippets of like, he gets the box, you know, he goes back to the, his family home, this like run that he's on or whatever that his famous getaway as Larry yeah. calls it, which I, it's weird how nonchalant 
Larry is about the fact that his brother's a criminal and just has yeah, his famous just, getaways. He's just cool with it. It's like, oh, that's, uh, that's Uncle Frank for you. Good ya. old Uncle Frankie <laughs> and his switchblade, man. <laughs> but, uh, but we see all of that, and then he gets transported to the Cenobites world. And the next bit we see, it's just pieces of his face. Yeah, just... And, that are sort of being stuck together like a puzzle. Yeah, and like... Uh, like, he's fragmented mentally. Yeah. Which... Yeah, and, and physically. And, well, and physically. <laughs> <laughs> he's physically... Yeah. But but there's something about, like, you know, they, they're talking about, like, the, the, the pleasure and pain and all being kind of interlinked in this, like, experience, which is what the Cenobites call it, is what Frank calls it. Which means that something is up with him that he's seeking out this other type of pleasure or experience that, that is beyond that of human capacity. Yeah. That he has to seek out the Cenobites for. Yeah. And, uh, like, we were even talking before, too, like, about um, kind of, like, especially, I guess, like, I guess in, in, in Love, I guess, where you know, all those things are kind of part of the deal, right? The good and the bad. Good, the, Like the good, the bad, and the ugly, I guess, <laughs> of like all that, right? <laughs> Wrong movie, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that next week. No, no we, we've got a string. <laughs> um, yeah, and like, I don't know, there's there's even like a lot of, a lot of, like a lot of symbolism in the movie too, like where, you know, you got uh, the arches, which uh, represented um starting walking through an archway basically means starting leaving the past behind and starting everything new right and so and that's that's a regular part of the design yeah, of the film is a arches lot of, a lot of arches like when she's walking down the hallway it's just endless arches you, you mean the one where she when she when christy opens the opens, the, opens in the, the hospital the wherever time. that she gets locked away in for some reason yeah and then there's the um, even when they're in that where they're in, the, in that attic where Frank resides, um, and the Cenobites come in. There's you can see an arch over all uh, three or four of them or however many of them there are. There's oh that's right yeah, yeah when and when we first really, see them yeah it's yeah it's really subtle too like it's just it's just on the wall it's just it almost looks drawn on or slightly carved in, which kind of sells. Where am I going with that? I guess, like, that's another part of the film that's used quite regularly is those matte paintings of, of arches. And they're always arches. Whenever they do those paintings, it's like arches over hallways. Yeah. That just kind of go on, continue continuously restarting and trying over again and yeah, failing and every time. Yeah, you can even time. look at that as, like, you know, um, when you get pulled into the realm of the Cenobites, you're just ending and then starting again and ending and starting again just in an endless loop of just pain and suffering forever <sighs> because like when she first walks in it's just it's just you could just look at it as a loop there's like you don't know how far well and and perhaps it sold a little bit of that i mean obviously i'm sure there were budget constraints that oh, yeah. necessitated this but like just the same stretch of like 10 feet that she was running down or 15 feet that she was running down mm -hmm. where she'd run and then stop and then just at the end is is the painting or the other end is the yeah. painting right there's no um but but the effects man for for like the time and for um what what they had i don't think it was a very big budget movie i didn't look up i don't think so i didn't check how much money they had but but the the sculpting and the and the the design of those creatures and that and oh yeah even the cenobites and stuff man like like just pinhead like i meant like uh, like how long it must have taken the i don't think they i doubt they put all the um the pins in his head individually but no 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 but i'm sure they had like a mask that he pulled on that was all glued together or whatever yeah but that's like... yeah that's probably what it was it was probably like a hood that went over the back of his head and on the side of his face and on his chin that was glued together or glued on through probably multiple pieces of prosthetics and then yeah glued on painted blended and then you know through some contact but lenses. but i mean i mean all of them too like whether it was pinhead or whether it was um i'm blanking on the large one's name with the eyes uh, butter butterball butterball that's right like like and they all they all had different aspects, like, and I mean, maybe it's obvious to say just because they're representing, or 
they're just in with this world, but like, you know, the, the aspects of, of pain that they seem to have put themselves through the choices that were made, whether it's meant to be the individual's choice, like, you know, the, the female uh, Cenobite who has her like throat held open with this weird contraption in her vocal box, like, yeah gone essentially because she she only whispers i think through the whole movie right yeah um versus like the guy who was his eyes sewn shut which is butterball i think and like yeah like they're just all like different aspects of of senses well and it's almost like uh like it it almost it almost makes sense but it's like there's speak no evil there's see no evil but then it's like where's the hear no evil or yeah, there's speak no evil. There is. See no evil. There but is. then Chatterbox, like, or the Chatterer, whatever it's called. I th- Chatterer, I think? Yeah, yeah. Chatterer. Like, uh, I guess, well. He's the one who's got his lips peeled back, right? And he's always, yeah. like, gnashing his well, teeth. Yeah, well, it's, there's, like, barbed wire over his eyes and ears. Like, he barely has any ears. Is that Chatterer you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's kind of lacking in, um, in ears. Maybe that's what that's Maybe. the one then, right? Uh, there, there seems to be aspects of all of what. What, what do you call that? The see no, hear no, speak no. What is that? Um, There's a name for that. There is a name for it, and it, I'm blanking on it. I don't, I don't remember what it is. But uh, if you if you find it on that little tablet of yours, but um, essentially they they all have a representation which. I think it's called the Three Monkeys, actually. Is it just called the Three Monkeys? Oh, I, well, I think so, because like they're all like most of it is like that I can see here is represented by monkeys, and that's well, uh, yeah, that's what it's kind of saying. Okay. Yeah, three wise monkeys. Three wise monkeys. But then it's like, what's what's Pinhead? He's the gang leader, man. He's the gang leader. <laughs> he's the one. He who, is all of them. He's Satan. One, except he does all of those things. He's Satan. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's talk about dragons. Because yeah. what the heck are, are dragons? Well, I'm going off of Google here. <laughs> We're just going to read off of Google for a minute. <laughs> so Verbatim. There's ghosts. Um, so it says the dragon is a symbol of power, strength, and good luck for people who are worthy. And Power, strength, and good luck for people who are worthy. Yeah. And... You see at least three dragons in the movie that I saw. So three. Okay, so there's the, the Chinese restaurant one. Yeah, there's the restaurant. There's the one at the top of this at the top of the stairs in the house. It's just like a little black one, but you see it quite a you see it quite a few times. Okay. And at, wait at the oh the like the the. It's just the, that little black one on the railing. Yeah, I I could never tell what that was. I it yeah, kind cause of... I was just looking at it more closely, and it almost looks like a gargoyle. I yeah. guess, but you could, it's kind of a dragon too, because that just seems like it's a recurring symbol. A, re- a recurring symbol, yeah. Yeah, and then there's also that homeless guy who eats the crickets. Who eats the crickets, yeah. And then at the end, so so major spoilers. <laughs> I, and this honestly confuses me a lot, and I think there's something to be said for like, or something to be talked about here, because I, I don't fucking understand... <laughs> What the, what his deal just was at the end, where he just turns into a gigantic skeletal dragon, takes the cube, and flies away. I mean, obviously what they're doing is they're setting up the next one, and, and it, there was another one, and there's a comic book series, and there's a book that it's based off of. Yeah, um, and then there's a bunch of direct-to-video sequels as well. Are there? How, yeah. ma- how many movies are there? Uh, I, I like, thought there was only two. Oh, man, no, there's like there's like... Almost in the tens. Holy, okay. Like almost well, tens of Hellraisers. Into the tens of Hellraisers. Hellraiser. So, they're obviously trying to set up a franchise. Because then also, we see it go back to that little Asian man who's selling it in the same booth at the same place to a different person who is seeking the same thing. Like, obviously, there's a, a system in place. but um, But beyond that, like, there's got to be something to the fact that this like is he just because i don't know of any hell mythology that uses dragons dragons, right like like i understand like demons 
and depending on what medium you're talking about, like there's there's Doom where you're looking at like the gigantic demon monster things, and there's all kinds of weird designs. But like yeah, you never see a, well, I mean you never see dragons. Well, there's the serpent. Yeah, which is yes. A snake, right? So like that could be. I guess in that sense, maybe that's what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be a an inflated the, serpent. Yeah, the, in, like what wasn't the the serpent like sort of like an influencer or like liar? Well, well, it, I mean, in in, in the basis, yeah, he's the one who makes them eat the eat the fruit. Yes, yeah, so right, I guess... or well, manipulates them to eat the fruit. Yeah, but he has no agency in this. Like the the character that is this dragon has no agency. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything that affects the story until the end when he takes the cube. Yeah. Other than to He's freak always... out Christy when he goes into her pet store and eats some crickets. Maybe the other thing was though, like that. Also, we were talking about earlier was that you know he was he like the dragon was always kind of present throughout. Like it was always around Kirsty. It seemed because he was. Well, I guess because like they were in the restaurant and then and there was a dragon there. There, there was a dragon there. Then there was. Um, in the house, which everybody had a little run-in with that dragon. But but, like, but she was around it on the stairs and she, multiple times. she also sees that homeless guy, like, two other times when they're her and the buddy are walking home. Right, her and the buddy. And the buddy. The boyfriend, the, the what's-his-fuck. Yeah, and then again in the pet store, and then again at the end when he just miraculously just transforms into a dragon. Into a gigantic dragon for well, no Well, first reason. he lights himself on fire. Oh, right, yeah. That, that, that's kind of important. <laughs> Jumps into the flame. Well, leans just, into the yeah, flame. Yeah, he just walks in. Touches it. Lights it. He... He's Daenerys Targaryen. He is the mother of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> or the father. The father. You are the father. <laughs> he, he's Rhaegar Targaryen. That's who he is. Oh, my so, God. So, how many... No, there's ten centibytes. There's ten cent over the over the course of the movies. Which how many movies are there? So, um, while you look at that, I I I would just maybe want to say a little bit about like the the set itself, the house, which is which pretty much the whole movie takes place in. Yeah, the it's, majority it's, of it. It's it's old and it's small. The spaces are not very big, um, but it, it to me it never felt claustrophobic. Um, yeah, it's it just, pretty pretty open. It just feels small, and there's like it's kind of nicely decorated. Like there's the there's the opening bit where it's uh, it's all kind of dusty and cobwebby. Yeah, and there's and like maggots, and maggots nothing. everywhere. You were saying something about maggots before. Yeah, they they uh, I just discovered this the other day, but they have they have maggot farms where they farm sterile maggots to put on actors and you know food and stuff like that so so they're real maggots yeah they're real maggots and if <clears throat> i mean now they probably use cgi maybe <sighs> but you know if they're if they're maybe back in the day if they were putting them on someone's face and they got in someone's mouth they're like they're just, sterile just eat not. them like just, just swallow it it's yeah. fine yeah just eat them i mean i feel like as a if i were an actor and got a maggot in my mouth i probably would not would yeah. not be fine with eating it. <laughs> <laughs> Something well, like that. Even kind of not not off topic, but on the topic of maggots, anyways. Mm. John Leguizamo in the Spawn movie. I don't know if you've seen it when he's the clown. He, Spawn he, movie. Yeah, there there was a Spawn. We were talking about Spawn earlier yeah. that they're doing a remake, but there was one that was made in the nineties. Oh. And there's there's a part where he's digging through the trash and he finds a slice of pizza and there's there's maggots all over it and he actually ate the pizza and then he puked immediately after. The actor did. Yeah, John Leguizamo. Oh my god. Yeah. So just, <laughs> I'm fun, just gonna eat it. Out. Fun, fun little fact. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's nine Hellraiser movies. And oh my god. <laughs> and a total of ten. Cenobites. Cenobites. All right. So almost. I don't know. Like there, there's. I think there's some significance probably to the number ten. I'm not sure what that significance is, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. So nine, ten. nine, nine movies. Just, just so you know. Yeah. Well, I guess I better start watching. I haven't seen any of them yeah, except for the first one that we just watched. <laughs> this is actually this has been my second time watching it. Um, so I had a little bit more like capacity to be able to watch for production design stuff i think yeah simply because i i've already seen it so i kind of knew what was coming which is good yeah but, um so to go back to that point about the space um it, it it contrasts 
what's happening a little bit because it feels homely by the time we get so that they're moved in it's like there's some nice spaces but you don't see that much of the house right yeah yeah you see the dining room you see uh, the, the stairs, bathroom, the, the stairs, bathroom, the attic where Frank is. Where I think Frank that's, is. That, that's, that's it, pretty much, and the front porch. And one of the bedrooms, too, I think. Oh, I guess you see the room where they have all their extra shit, where she stores the bodies, which I was like... Oh, yeah, that's that, where we found... That's where I told you about the maggots. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Because <laughs> the, 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 dead, the dead guy's face pops out. <laughs> oh, uh, which, which is totally... I didn't even realize this while we were watching it, but there's that bit where, like, Jesus pops out of the cupboard in the exact same way that the dead body pops out, like, 30 seconds later. Or is it after? I think it... Which one was first? I think that was after. Jesus was first. Jesus came first, right? And then after Jesus was the dead guy. (laughs) What they're trying to say is, Jesus is out. Jesus is gone, man. (laughs) He tried to help. She said no. So we gave her a dead body. It's like, what up, motherfuckers? And then she just like puts him back in the, puts him back in the closet. <laughs> like, Get out of here, Jesus. Get out of here. I don't need you. You're, you're not wanted here. But somehow she didn't die. So yeah, yeah, maybe Jesus did help. He must have. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna help her anyways. Because <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good guy. That <laughs> Jesus man. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. The other thing I noticed too, uh, pretty much everywhere even on some of the characters uh costumes was like grids grids so there's like grids in the windows when she's in the hospital the tiles on the wall there's a grid i mean tiles are always gridded they're all well not not always sometimes they're cut into different shapes i guess that's true but i mean regularly they're they're, (laughs) regularly they're spaced and they they have grids but even like uh her boyfriend or whatever i don't know his name again but uh even this the sweater that he was wearing i think even the the majority of the movie anyway had a grid on it in in some in some way or another i think most things did yeah yeah there's a lot of grids. it's kind of like a almost a symbol of of imprisonment yeah, i guess we were like, talking about yeah being being trapped being locked in somewhere and i mean i guess like you know the the you said the windows had grids and in, in, you're talking in Frank's room, right? Yeah, it was yeah. actually all over the house they did. Like, the, the door had grids, the windows... But when you say grids, did they have, like, like bars on the window? I, I am now not remembering. Like, you know, um, like, they just had, like, individual pieces of glass, and some of them had, like, more... Like, some of them had colored oh, glass. Oh, like and, panes, right, right. Yeah, like yeah. panes of glass. Yeah, yeah. that's what... That's what I, you gotta wonder sometimes how intentional some of these things are. Like, we can sit here and speculate about, like, the grids and the windows. Um, <laughs> but, like... You know, I, I, I like to think when people make movies, they put thought they, into every they piece. They intentionally, yeah. Because, for the most part, you do when you, when you, you know, build a set. Which, I mean, I guess... They might have found, but or I would maybe be. I would they just be found su- a surplus of gridded windows. <laughs> like, hey, we need those. <laughs> hey, we need windows. Let's grab them. Well, and I wonder if they d- constructed that set for the movie, or if they just found a house to shoot in. Like I'd imagine, they. I would think that the attic was probably a set. A set. And then the rest, they might even had like they might even just had exterior shots of the house, and then they might have just built segments. That well, were, and, and of the house that what, were used in the screenplay, right? What makes me think of that is that we never see most of it, right? So it's like a, it's a huge house, yeah. but we only see like two rooms and a staircase. Yeah. Three rooms and a staircase. Yeah. So that makes me think that maybe they built sets rather than shooting on a location. Which, I mean, I don't. I who? Uh, I think. I think. I think it was this movie I was watching. Oh, and you know what? I think it was Friday the Thirteenth. Damn Never it, mind. Paul. Never mind. <laughs> I was like, I think it was shot on the Universal backlot, but I think that was one of the one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. New World Pictures in association with Cinemark Entertainment. Just reading the back of the case right now. Excellent. We need uh, the synopsis. Well, <laughs> here, let me let me uh the definitive version of Clive Barker's masterpiece. <laughs> Just reads the Clive whole Barker's thing. Clive Barker's masterpiece. Yes, Clive Barker in a place between pleasure and pain. Well, I mean, and but but there is there is some merit to it. I mean, like if you're looking at what's on back here, like what they filmmaker thought was important, 
um, to put in the description in the back is sometimes helpful to like yeah just mull over but, and just kind of see get into the heads of the filmmakers a little bit. Are you? Uh, this is a little bit off topic, but because this is our first episode, we're getting to know the audience is getting to know us a little bit. Are you? Are you a movie buyer? Are you the person who goes and gets DVDs and orders the the physical copy of everything? Yes. Except for a few that I downloaded off of iTunes mm. that I kind of regret, but only because I couldn't find them in the stores. You can order them on Amazon, you know. I know. I just got Amazon Prime, so that's probably what I'm going to do. Nice. I'm a I'm kind of a physical medium person myself. I like I well, like supporting but... it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if I'm going to watch it, like, I guess, because I, I, I guess I consider myself a filmmaker too. So if I, <laughs> if I was making a movie, I you know, I'd try to, like look at it the same way as like you know i hope someone buys my movie instead of stealing instead of it on, stealing like, it like you know. yeah i mean i i it, it's it's hard because like i totally understand the the whole money situation and and all that kind of stuff and you just want some entertainment and yeah. movies are great and that's why the why services like netflix and things are good too mm-hmm. but yeah but you know it, it's nice to be able to support people who make things when you can't well, especially things as good things. as like hellraiser and the thing too oh man or so speaking of that we should probably seeing as we've spent like 40 minutes on on hellraiser now we should move on to the second movie we wanted to talk about today in so far as production design goes um which is john carpenter's the thing from 1982 yeah, you say that with a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> Is that it. a question or an observation? I don't know. I think I'm right. The... Well, it should say on the back of the Blu-ray. Google's faster. 1982. You son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. So this one is it's, – it's funny, actually, because we were talking after or during slash before about the, the prequel that was made later mm-hmm. that, I, if I remember correctly, ends – Kind of with the beginning of the original, yeah. Um, which I haven't seen, so like. Which you haven't seen. We were like, are we? Should we talk about this beforehand? But I was like, no, nah, like let's let's leave it just because you know what happens, and I don't care if you spoil it. Well, and so. and also it's it's interesting to the fa- to the point that like the thing was created. I mean, I I can't presume to know what was going through John's Car- John Carpenter's head when he made the movie, but I would assume that it was made as a standalone piece. It was just this like. This is a thing from it, outer space. From outer space. This which, isn't. Well, like I was uh, saying earlier, it was also a remake. Also a remake. Which was made in the fifties, sometime. The thing from outer space. Yeah, something like that. In the fifties, and then John Carpenter remade it into his own dealio. Oh, sorry, but... the, the thing from another world. Oh, okay. Um, but it, it's interesting because it was made that way, so it was never meant to be interpreted based on what happened before right it, it doesn't matter you yeah, can watch I mean, the entire movie without yeah, knowing and you already know what happens like you can put it all together and then the rest is kind of left yeah i mean you know there's a right? block of ice in which they have dug out where you assume this big monster came out of yeah is this block of ice the spaceship that they go to that they never go inside uh but in the prequel they do go inside right um you know the spaceship that's trying to get whatever built i, I don't know that that part was really weird to me but uh, production design-wise, um, I think the biggest thing I noticed about this one, in 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 like comparison, there the it, I think it's important that we we picked th- two things from the same decade, mm-hmm. um, because we can compare and discuss them based on you know similar. Yeah, it's like it was like the boom of like the big practical special effects. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was right after Star Wars. Yeah, pretty close. It was at, at least after Return uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, yeah, at least, which which, which heralded, and those movies kind of heralded the beginning of the the big special effects yeah. and, and and all that kind of stuff. So everybody was kind of in on on practical effects for that, um, and and I think so. Anyways, to compare, one thing that I noticed between the two was that in the thing, the spaces are large. And, and and I I don't oh, no the, no the Hellraiser the spaces were large no 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 the spaces were smaller in 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 the thing there's a lot more depth 
to oh, the rooms, okay. right? Like, oh, okay. like you, you. you have a person in the foreground doing their thing, but right. the <laughs> but the <laughs> <laughs> but the space they're in stretches far back behind them, right? So you're seeing like piles of crates over here, or drums of fuel over there, or this work table, and yeah. and it, it's really cluttered and it feels really claustrophobic, yeah. but it's also a big room. Right. Yeah, so, and it's so, like, so there's a lot of shadows and a lot of darkness. Whereas Hellraiser didn't use shadows and darkness almost at all. Well, it did. I mean, it did. It does a little bit. Like in yeah. in Frank's room, it does. Yeah. Um. But it's mostly like lightly Brit. Well, lightly Brit. <laughs> it's, it's it's a lightly Brit that Sorry, one. It's, it's my first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 just interesting, I think, though, because it develops uh, a look of contrast and shadows and and depth that sort of complements the fact that they're so isolated in this movie yeah and like you know even with thing too it's like if you were you have like this huge space that's cluttered with like a bunch of stuff right so if you wanted to run odds are you're gonna trip over something or you'll knock something over you're gonna be caught up on stuff like there's not a lot of room to move and then when you get out of the camp it's just empty ice and snow like yeah. there, there's nowhere to go well and then it, it kind of brings it up to like the thing could be hiding anywhere at any time like, also true you know it, it could hide between like you know like a little you know four inch space between some barrels or something. well and when all it needs is like a couple of cells like it could be a puddle of goop on the ground yeah and it could get you is is what's implied in in the film anyways yeah um so that i found that really interesting that they used space kind of in that way yeah um and it's also very minimalist i i know that sounds weird there's a lot but it's like basic stuff yeah there's like it's not like they've got all these really complicated color schemes and like, you know, the, all these decorations yeah, like, all over everything. Yeah, and whatever. like you know, even their computers like are pretty basic. Like, there's a lot of white in it. Yes, like that, it looks like it looks almost sterile, I guess. Yeah, yeah, in, sterile. Sterile is a really good word yeah. for it, actually. It's like even with the snow, it just you know everything just it. Yeah, it's just really minimalistic. Like, I guess the, it helps the characters pop out a little bit too, I suppose, and even the thing, right? Yeah like you know just give it that contrast and like um one well, it makes it, it, it it's a scientific base so i suppose it's meant to feel yeah pretty sterile in that regard too and then it's like not so boring because like even when you get bored you can go crazy right yeah well and i guess that's the thing from the, that's the thing god i'm gonna um Ryan, from from say it one more time. the thing is <laughs> uh shit i lost my train where was i going with that oh yeah so it's it's um the 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 design complements the the fact that um it's a it's a like a, a military scientific research base uh so it wouldn't have a lot of artwork it wouldn't have a lot of that kind of stuff hanging yeah. around it um but it also complements um the the beginning of the story where they're talking oh you know boredom or whatever drives people crazy and that they write it off when he's flying around in a helicopter trying to shoot a dog which to be fair like if you didn't know what the movie was you'd be like what the fuck man that's it's what sh- I first thought when that's I a saw really the movie. pretty dog I'm why like, are you why trying, to, trying kill? to shoot him <laughs> it's such a nice dog poor little dog yeah he's so cute <laughs> and man let's just take a second to say how difficult it would have been to make oh, that man. dog do some of the things that they had it do like stare fixated like i mean obviously they probably had somebody off in the background oh, with yeah. a piece of meat or something but, but even like... still like even just even when the dog's like first walking into the to the to the cage with all the other dogs like it would take a few steps kind of look around kind of like almost like as if it were trying not to be spotted because it yeah. kind of knew it would be it was like oh these are like um like like i'm had like yeah had, right like, yeah kind of true dogs, i guess these dogs are gonna detect what i am they, they I'm, know I'm, I'm not a dog like i know like i'm gonna have to come out here throwing punches pretty much yeah or tentacles Thro- th- throwing Oops. tentacles man put up your tentacles I throw your tentacles up in the air <laughs> woo, 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 woo. but yeah like uh yeah just yeah just the training like i don't know like, they probably had, like, you know, luring the dog in with treats and stuff. And oh, yeah. Using hand signals and all that. But, I don't know, just what you have to do with a dog and able for it to learn that. Or animals in general. And I think it's even, I think I heard that it's even kind of specific to the to the movie that they're doing. Oh, really? That, I, 
I think I heard something like that. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's kind of specific to what they need the dog to do in the movie. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so, um, now we were also talking about color scheme, uh, because in in Hellraiser, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of warm, earthy colors throughout yeah. the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, reds, yellows, greens. You know, browns, that that kind yeah, of stuff. It's yeah. all very like down to earth, sort of warm colors, yeah, which boots is boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> boots on the ground, man. But this one is very blue, very blue. like icy blue, sky blue. It's um, like uh, really dark blue, like the vest uh, the one guy was wearing, that jean vest or whatever. It was yeah. like a really dark blue. It was almost black. Almost, yeah. And you had some interesting stuff to say about blue. <laughs> well, this is why I thought that. <laughs> um hellraiser was a movie about trust and friendship not and... hellraiser oh sorry the thing, <laughs> the thing. yeah hellraiser is about just the opposite of that but it's about like trust loyalty and friendship right just because uh blue according according to color theory <laughs> according to color theory that's yeah. what it that's what it means and it's like essentially it's a movie about a bunch of guys who worked together for a really long time, who knew know each other really well, and now they're in a position where they can't trust each other, right? No, and I mean, I mean, theoretically, they should be able to to tell. You should be able to notice behavior yeah. differences, yeah. but but maybe not because the people who are are sort of replaced still seem to have the same behavior, or maybe they don't know. It's hard to tell with movies. It's really hard to tell with movies sometimes what the characters are thinking. I think it's even kind of how you interpret it, too. Yeah. Because, you know, movie, like, I don't know. It depends on the movie that you watch, but, you know, it's all subjective at the end of the day. But, I mean, there is, you know, if you actually talk to the filmmaker saying, hey, was this was this intentional? It's like, yeah, it was or it wasn't. And it's, you know, you can you can interpret things differently. I, I took a... Before I, I went to SAIT and did film and before I started making my own movies, I took a degree in English um, and finished it. And what, what, one of the things that I've learned, one of the, the um, bits of like classes or whatever I took was on, on theory and analysis of, of theory. Um, and one of the, one of the, things that I had to study was on authorship, specifically on um, exactly that topic. Like, you know, an author will create something, whether it's the, the writer of the screenplay or whether it's the director, both of them, or however mm -hmm. it works, that they create this piece of work that's out there that they want to, uh, they want to, they have a story they want to tell. But at the end of the day, the story that's being told is what is whatever the viewer is listening to. And, or, or seeing or taking out of it, right? We were talking when we were going to get food earlier about um, how your reality is shaped by your, your beliefs. Your own perceptions. Or your own perceptions, right? So yeah. you, you look at a movie and you watch the movie or you read a book or whatever it is you're doing and you perceive characters to be a certain way, uh, actions to mean a certain thing, and, and all of that is all just subjective based yeah. on your experience Mm -hmm. And it shapes how you watch the movie, and it's hard as a as an author of a film or of a book or of anything to like maintain exactly what you meant to put on paper for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Because everybody's gonna take it slightly differently, right? Yeah. So like for me, sitting and watching that, I I would have thought that like the people either don't know that they're not themselves, and they yeah, because. There were times in the movie where it seemed like uh, even if they were, even if they were the thing, they it didn't seem like they would actually know if they were almost. Yeah, like, or cause it, it was like it was like uh, well, I guess they kind of did because when uh, the one guy was like about to freak out when he was doing the little blood test. Yeah. But at times it seemed it seemed like the opposite, like they didn't know because it was such like a good imitation of what that person was before like they they like it seemed like they didn't even know well and then that's that's kind of the impression that i got but then it wasn't until the blood fought back that that the guy started like freaking out yeah so maybe they know maybe they don't know it's hard or maybe it's, it's maybe it's like once 
once they go into I guess the the self-defense mode that's when like their instincts kick in and then they just it you know you know what I mean like yeah they break character almost oh I guess that maybe that's what it is 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 essentially they're acting and but but they're replacing cells this is getting really meta into like the (laughs) science of how this alien creature works now but like maybe if they're just replacing cells they wouldn't be they wouldn't be replacing behaviors and ticks and memories. They'd just be replacing the physical body. But also the movie makes it clear that they eventually learn to speak and they seem to know how to do things. Yeah, so maybe like, they do just take over their body, essentially, but yeah, keep everything Yeah, it's almost like the alien else. doesn't even know that... It's an alien. It's an alien, Until right? it's the last minute. Until, yeah, until it's like... It was even like when the dog went in. Well, I, I don't know, because like the dog was... Well, it was only up until like yeah like i don't know like it seemed like the dog was cool up until it had to defend itself against the other dogs. and and then it started freaking out but it's it's just but trying it, to hide yeah but it's also trying to propagate so that it doesn't have any enemies it's hard to say yeah and i don't think there's anything that really progress uh, tells you for sure one way or another yeah um but i think that that is almost what makes it kind of more interesting because they're to go back to the people aspect, like they're 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 human, but also they're not. Like you know, there's the corpse they find in the beginning, yeah. which you know is it's like they're just... so close to what we are. Yeah, and and that's what makes it terrifying, I think. And that's the same thing. Like that's, I've heard a lot of arguments be made for that's why, uh, zombie movies, became a thing, and why people were so, um, enthralled with them for such a long time is because, it's ourselves the enemy is ourselves yeah it's a human figure but they're also not us like it's separating mm-hmm. us from some other that is also us yeah it was like... it's almost kind of a cathartic like you kill the zombies so you're killing like the bad part of yourself yeah and keeping the good part or is like even even like the walking dead said even though i don't like that show but it's like the, the zombies aren't the walking dead the people trying to survive are the walking dead I didn't know that was a quote from yeah. that movie. What season is that? I obviously didn't get that far. Um, fuck if I know. But like, Fair enough. But that, that's I interesting. I haven't though. watched it since like the first episode of the fifth or sixth season. Or no, I, I, like yeah, that. I, didn't, I didn't make it that far. Yeah. But, but that's an interesting point, though, to, to think about. And, and when comparing it to this, too, right? Is that mm-hmm. like these people are... Uh, the real people trying to survive, but then there's also the people who are, you know, this, like, obviously more advanced being trying to trying to also just survive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, because, I mean, the thing was encased in ice for, like, what they say, like, 100,000 100, well, years or something like that? Yeah, I mean, they say so, the ice is hundreds of thousands of years old, but the ship could have crashed sunk through the ice and then been covered over so it could have been like 10 years or 100 years or that's true you know scientifically geographically but yeah they should have been able to tell yeah they should be able to tell like how old the ice was i don't know how that works but like well you just layers or something yeah there there is a way there's a way i'm no (laughs) iceologist let me tell you but uh i would imagine (laughs) hudson would probably know he probably would (laughs) Um, but yeah, blue, blue as a prominent color scheme is... And white, too. And white. So what's, what's white? Innocence, generally. Oh, yeah, like purity. Purity, yeah. yeah. Sterile. I like... Sterility. Sterility. That's, uh, but that, that, that's a big thing throughout that whole, that whole movie. Um, so we're getting pretty close to our hour here, if we're not already, like, right at it. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what this podcast is going to be. We're, uh, we're going to take movies. We're going to talk about them. We're going to break them down. We're going to explore some of the themes. Uh, we're going to talk about design. We're going to talk about them from technical standpoints of the creation, um, how it would, it could have been done. Um, and we'll probably even talk about movies, you know, like bad movies that maybe, we could think of ways that they could have been done better on like maybe a technical standpoint or a writing standpoint or something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, uh, I want to try and 
<clears throat> I want to try and do a bit of everything. Yeah, for um, sure. As far as the actual technical technical stuff goes. With these, with these two, it's really hard to say too much about them because they're both pretty great movies overall. Uh, I mean, they're products of their time, oh, obviously. Yeah. There, there was a well, few the, scenes like, in especially, Hellraiser. Especially in Hellraiser when like, the big occult, like devil-worshipping sort of craze was going on too. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. But it, but there are, it, it's, uh, there's a lot to be learned from exploring those things in those ways based on our view of that time and, as yeah, well as that. Yeah, and it, it's sometimes it's hard not to talk about um, production design and what um, what the production designer was trying to say about why they used certain things, like, you know, like the grids or the arches or the number 55 at the house. Oh, that's right, which, yeah. Which meant, like, you know, a new beginning and leaving the, house the past number. behind you, yeah. Because the house number for the house that they moved to is 55, so. It's called, like, an angel number or something. An angel number. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, we can we can speculate endlessly about what it could be and and I think that's part of what we want to do because that's what we have fun doing yeah. is just sitting and talking about, about that kind of thing. Whether or not, you know we're necessarily 100% right yeah. about what it, it is in the eyes of the filmmaker or not. Who knows? Maybe but... maybe maybe the filmmaker will listen to this and go, hey, I never thought of that. <laughs> hey, man, if that happens, I think we've done our job. Exactly. We don't even have a it's, job. But if fun. we had a job, that would be it. Yeah. And we yeah. would have done it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, just going off the cuff and just going into, like, theories and stuff like that and just why things are the way they are in movies is kind of just a fun thing to do yeah so we'll uh we'll give it a go if if uh if people want to leave us some comments on or get in touch with us um about movies you want us to talk about uh or ideas or things you want uh we do have or just tell us we're plain wrong about something i mean you're welcome to do that too uh we have a twitter account um it's at cinematic oh boy (laughs) i just made it the other day and this is our first podcast, so I apologize for the for the forgetting what the what the friggin' thing is. Anyways, we'll, we have a Twitter, which I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Um, we're gonna have a, so, uh, an Instagram opened up right away. Um, okay, so we're Cinematics Cast. Um, so you can find us there on Twitter. Um, you can also find me uh, at. Dark Sales Films on Instagram or Minimal Tales on Twitter are my personal accounts. Um, I also have a Facebook page that you can like, which is just Ryan Drescher, Dark Sales Films. Um, if you want to talk at us, give us suggestions or whatever, um, we'll post uh, links to all of those things in the in the descriptions and all that kind of stuff. And you can find me on the email. On the email. <laughs> That's really descriptive. What's the, what's the email? The email account. Oh, our email. Yeah, account. our our email. Account. Oh, of course. Uh, that one. Yes. Precisely. We'll we'll post that in the description. It's Cinematics Podcast, I believe, as well. So. <laughs> I believe. Uh, <laughs> I made these all at like three in the morning the other day when I got home from work because this business is one of of weird weird work hours, as some people may know. Um. Did I write it down? Yeah, cinematicspodcast at gmail.com. So you can email us there uh, or uh, on our anchor site, obviously. Um, Who knows where this is going to be hosted yet? I don't know. This is our first episode. We're going to get it fed out, hopefully, to everywhere. Every fucking where, man. Every fucking where. Um, Thanks for listening. And uh, Next week. What are we doing next week? Um, do we want to do we want to do foreign horror films next week? Let's do foreign. Films. All right, we're gonna we're gonna now that we've done two pretty classically American, well North American, <laughs> not American, American. American. Um, we've done two classically North American horror films uh, from the eighties. You know, obviously Which John Carpenter. I think Carpenter it's the golden thing. age of horror. It's not, but like I. Think, <laughs> you like me, to think for me. I like to think it's the golden <laughs> age of horror. Well, maybe for you it is. For me. Uh, I mean, the '80s was John Carpenter. '80s and '70s and '90s and and yeah. that was Cronenberg and that was mm-hmm. like like a lot of body body horror. Yeah, and body that kind horror. Of, like it, yeah. it it really was quite a revolutionizing time period for the genre. Um, 
Yeah, so well, now that we've done that, next time we'll talk about some classically non-North American horror films, and maybe we'll even do a little comparison about what, what kind of things are different, and uh, we'll go from there. I think we've got a few weeks of horror stuff planned over the next little while, while It's going to bleed Halloween's over around. into November, but... It'll happen. It's, 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 it's okay. We don't have to be OCD about it. No. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace out. You opened it. We came. Where the fuck is my mouse?